Why should I be frightened of dying? See no reason for it. You better go sometimes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Decoding Death. Thank you very much for joining me today. This is going to be a daunting episode, a difficult episode perhaps, not only for me but perhaps for some of you. But I thought it would be useful and challenging for us in a way that perhaps I haven't gotten into before. I'm going to be reading an academic paper which was published in the Journal of Near-Death Studies. And it is a critique of survivalist interpretations of near-death experiences. What I take survivalist to mean is the view that life continues on after death, that there is a transcendental reality which we return to or we go to, and that near-death experiences are a glimpse of that. The author does a very good job of critiquing that idea by talking about the cultural differences in near-death experiences and how we really don't have what could be defined as a single core near-death experience, that there's so much variation and variability that it undermines the idea that we all go to the same place. That being said, I am not fully convinced because I think that there is a a way of looking at these experiences which the author does not take into account, and that is coming from some of my background in reading Jung and the psychoanalytic view of our conscious experience of the psyche and what is unconscious. This paper is titled Psychophysiological and Cultural Correlates Undermining a Survivalist Interpretation of Near-Death Experiences, and it is by Keith Augustine, M.A. I'm going to read just a little bit about the author and what he does. Keith Augustine, M.A. is Executive Director of Scholarly Paper Editor of Internet Infidels, a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to defending and promoting metaphysical naturalism on the internet. So that's a little bit about who the author is and his worldview, and I thought it might be helpful to go over to that website, which is infidels.org, to explain a little bit about what metaphysical naturalism is, and I'm going to read now from infidels.org. Quote, Naturalism is the hypothesis that the natural world is a closed system, in the sense that nothing that is not a part of the natural world affects it. As such, naturalism implies that there are no supernatural entities, such as gods, angels, demons, ghosts, or other spirits, or at least none that actually exercises its power to affect the natural world. End quote. So that is roughly and probably very simply what naturalism and metaphysical naturalism is, that there is nothing outside of nature. And it's a sentiment and belief that I agree with. 
I would just extend the realm of nature past where most people who believe in metaphysical naturalism probably would. I would extend it into the subjective realm, I'd say. That means including ourselves, our psychology, our subjective experience into the natural world, since it is interfacing with and coming from the natural world, that it obviously is a part of it or coexistent with it. And that would include the unconscious contents which autonomously make up our experiences such as dreams and NDEs. So I think I will get more into that after reading the paper, but I just wanted to plant that seed that I'm somewhat in agreement with Mr. Augustine with how he is describing the somewhat naive way that a lot of near-death experience research and uh, talk about NDEs has gone about, that it's describing a single place that we all go to and that all the differences that we see in near-death experiences are misinterpretations of the same phenomena. And he's just going, wait a minute, if people see different things, then maybe we should take that seriously. And that's something I, I agree with. We need to look at these accounts of near-death experiences as they are and not try to twist them into something they're not. But I disagree with him due to the fact that all of these experiences are coming from an unconscious, autonomous level of our psychology. And that may allow us to look at the contents of these experiences in an objective way through a symbolic lens that different figures and features in a near-death experience may be expressing an underlying meaning which we can gather by looking at different accounts and at the cultural and religious productions of mankind to see what has been an expression of the objective psyche and whether that meaning would have an effect psychologically on the person who has the experience. I found this paper while I was researching for a previous episode. I was trying to look at cultural differences in near-death experiences of, of different depictions of hell or, or different depictions of the lake of fire as per some of my previous episodes. And it is a fascinating subject, the different ways that culture can affect and shape an NDE. Because as you shall see in the article, culture very much has a, a role in shaping the visions of the afterlife of people having an NDE. This paper does a phenomenal job of looking at what that means and of all the cultural differences and why people of a shared culture may have shared elements of an NDE while people from another part of the world may not. It's really interesting and that's why I thought it was worth reading on the podcast because it's something different that we're not going to get just from looking at the standard Judeo-Christian Western 
near-death experience. There's a world of variety in how these experiences happen and how they play out and their different elements. And we should be able to take that seriously. So I apologize for the length of this intro, but I thought it was worth giving some background information of why we're going to be reading this. And just a few more notes before we begin. This is just an excerpt from the paper. I am only going to be reading the sections on the cultural differences of near-death experiences. The first part of the paper, which I am not reading today, has to do with the similarities in brain chemistry and neurophysiology of people who have near-death experiences, which I thought was interesting, but I really wanted to focus on the cultural aspects of NDEs. And because I did not include the first half of this paper in today's reading, I also did not end up reading the conclusion because it has lots of elements from that first half. But after we get done reading this section of the paper on the cultural differences of NDEs, which is about an hour in length, I will talk about my thoughts about it and what I really liked about it and, and the interesting points that he brought up and perhaps some things that, that were not considered. And so I think it will be a really wonderful and different sort of episode for this podcast. So without any further ado, this is Cultural Differences from Psychophysiological and Cultural Correlates Undermining a Survivalist Interpretation of Near-Death Experiences. Quote, In the industrialized West, where Christian imagery dominates, people who encounter religious figures in their NDEs typically encounter Christian religious figures who appear as they are standardly depicted. For example, one woman who reported seeing a light form above her bedroom door just before floating over her body said, quote, Jesus came walking up to me with arms outstretched. He was dressed in a long white robe, his hair to his shoulders, ginger auburn, and he had a short beard, end quote. By contrast, the dominant religious imagery of India is Hindu, and predictably, NDEs from India typically involve encounters with recognizably Hindu religious figures, such as Yamraj, the Hindu god of death, or his black messengers. One Indian NDEer, for example, reported that, quote, Yamraj was there sitting on a high chair with a white beard and wearing yellow clothes, end quote. Moreover, while Western near-death experiencers tend to encounter dead friends and relatives more often than religious figures, Hindu religious figures nearly always appear in NDEs from India. Finally, while Western near-death experiencers are often, quote, sent back in order to take care of immediate family or for some assumed but unknown purpose, near-death experiencers from India report meeting clerks in an impersonal afterlife bureaucracy who send them back because they have been sent the wrong person due to paperwork mistakes. Cultural conditioning is evident even in children's near-death experiences. In the West, 
children's encounters with other beings during NDEs tend to be more imaginative than those of adults. Morse paraphrased one girl's encounter with Jesus, quote, He was in a very bright light that she could not describe other than by saying that it made her feel good. He was sitting there with a round belly and a red hat, looking like Santa Claus, end quote. In other cases, children have reported encountering wizards, doctors, guardian angels, living teachers, living playmates, pets, and other animals during NDEs. Todd Murphy translated into English 11 published accounts of NDEs in Thailand, three of which reported two NDEs from the same subject, yielding a total of 14 cases. Because one of the published accounts was so similar to another, Murphy analyzed 10 of them in his paper in this journal. Like near-death experiences from India, Thai NDEs contrasted starkly with those reported in the West. For instance, like Indian NDEers, Thai NDEers were far more likely to encounter religious figures than deceased friends and relatives. In 9 out of 10 accounts, Thai NDEers met Yamatuts, messengers of the god of death, Yama. And in half of the accounts, Thai NDEers reported, quote, being told that they were the wrong person and being ordered back to life. End quote. While out of body experiences are rather common early on in Western NDEs, being visited by a Yamatut is the most common initial phase of Thai near death experiences. Where out of body experiences did occur, quote, OBEs and Thai near death experiences tend immediately to precede meetings with the Yamatuts. Tunnels were largely absent in Thai near-death experiences, and feelings of peace or euphoria and experiences of light have not been reported. Thai near-death experiencers were sometimes judged, but their deeds were recounted by reviewing written words of their lives or the testimony of others. The following case is typical. Quote, I found myself in the judgment hall of Yama's palace. I knew that they were ready to judge me for my sins. A giant rooster appeared and told Yama that I had killed him. He emphasized that I had tried to kill him again and again. The rooster also said that he remembered me exactly. An entire flock of roosters also appeared and testified that I had killed them as well. I remembered my actions and I had to admit that the roosters had told the truth. Yama said that I had committed many sins and sentenced me to many rebirths both as a chicken and many other types of birds as well. But quite suddenly, an enormous turtle appeared. It screamed at Yama, saying, Don't take him. He is a good human and should be allowed to live. Yama answered the turtle, What did he do to help you? End quote. Unlike Western cases, Life events were not viewed or relived as flashbacks. Landscapes were most common in these Thai near-death experiences, but typically hellish. And while Western near-death experiencers may reach a point of no return and choose to return to life, 
Thai near-death experiencers are typically told that they were taken because of a clerical mistake and told to return to the body. Given such stark phenomenological differences, Murphy concluded, quote, The fact that Thai and Indian near-death experiences do not follow the typical Western progression seems to rule out the possibility that there is an ideal or normal NDE scenario, except within a particular cultural context, end quote. He nevertheless conceded vague cross-cultural commonalities, quote, in which individuals commonly use culturally derived patterns to confabulate individualized death process phenomena that serve common psychological functions, end quote. Such commonalities may reflect common beliefs across societies, such as the idea of post-mortem judgment for earthly behavior, tied to an expectation or sense of being dead. Journalists Hiroshi Tanami and Takashi Tachibana originally presented an investigation of 46 Japanese near-death experiences on NHK television. Tachibana subsequently expanded the investigation to that of 243 near-death experiences. Some individuals reported multiple NDEs. Discussed in the Japanese-language book Rinshi Taiken, Near-Death Experiences, which includes a section on the cultural differences between Japanese and other NDEs, the study confirmed that Japanese NDEers often reported, quote, seeing long, dark rivers and beautiful flowers, two common symbols that frequently appear as images in Japanese art, end quote. In a tabulated chart, 73 reports noted an affective component that was predominantly positive. 32 included being at peace, and another 32 included feeling happy, while only 9 were fearful. Leaving the body was reported in 59 NDEs. Of 45 experiences of light, 16 were preceded by travel through a tunnel. Altogether, 30 tunnel experiences were reported, implying that some experiences of light preceded or did not accompany tunnel experiences. 24 NDEs included encountering darkness. In 153 accounts, there was an encounter with others, most commonly with friends or relatives, but also occasionally with otherworldly beings or religious figures. Six NDEs included reviews of the events of the NDEers' lives. Landscape visions were most consistent between accounts, with reports of a field of flowers and 102 near-death experiences. Of the 82 NDEs featuring a border, 70 featured rivers, 6 featured a sea or lake, and 6 featured a gate or wall. In 72 accounts, a reason for the NDEers' return was given. In 37 cases, near-death experiencers were, quote, brought back to life. In 23, they were told to return, and in 12, they chose to return. Tachibana had noted that unlike Western near-death experiences, the light is not personal or personified existence. It is an indescribably beautiful and natural light, yet it is just light, and that there was not a single instance of Japanese in having any sort of communication with the light. 
Nevertheless, occasional similarities between these Japanese NDEs and typical Western cases are fascinating exceptions to the general rule of cultural diversity. By the time of their collection in the 1990s, it is hard to say whether the popularization of common Western NDE features had influenced Japanese reports in this East meets West society. It is nevertheless notable that one Japanese NDEer recounted an experience dating back to World War II, in which he began reviewing his childhood memories before he lost consciousness and had an NDE. In contrast to the Tachibana study, Yoshia Hata and collaborators at Kyoran University interviewed 17 patients who went into comas with minimal signs of life after heart attacks, strokes, asthma attacks, and drug poisoning. Eight of the 17 reported dreams where rivers and ponds were prominent, while the remaining nine had no experiences. Five of the eight NDEers reported fear, pain, and suffering, unlike typical NDEs from the West. While one of the patients from the Kyoran study reported repeatedly doing handstands in the shallows of a reservoir, a cardiac arrest survivor saw a cloud filled with dead people. Quote, It was a dark, gloomy day. I was chanting sutras. I believed they could be saved if they chanted sutras, so that is what I was telling them to do. End quote. University of Zambia physician Nasama Mumbwe collected 15 near death experience reports from Africa. In one case, after being attacked by a lioness protecting her cubs, a 60 year old truck driver reported that a highway opened up for him, going endlessly into the sky. Surrounded by stars, when he tried to go on the highway, the stars blocked his way, and he stood there until the highway and stars disappeared. In another case, an 85 year old stroke survivor reported quote, I felt I was put into a big calabash, the hollow shell of a gourd, with a big opening, but somehow I couldn't get out of it. Then a voice from somewhere said to me, Be brave. Take my hand and come out. It is not yet your time to go. End quote. In the first case, the man attributed his NDE to a quote, bad omen. In the second, the NDEer thought someone was trying to quote, bewitch her into death. Clearly, these were culture bound interpretations of the experience. But what of the reports of what was actually experienced? The single report of being caught inside a calabash with a large opening has been interpreted as the tunnel experience, but may indicate feeling caught inside something more like a bottle with only one opening. So we have a single African near death experience that may or may not include a tunnel experience. There is little reason to describe the other African case where a highway through the stars opens up. As either a tunnel experience or an OBE, since there is no indication of enclosure or of looking down on one's body. In the South Pacific region known as Melanesia, anthropologist Dorothy Counts surveyed NDEs among the hunter gatherer Kalai, 
who described an NDE world, quote, having factories and wage employment. That reminds me of the view approaching Los Angeles from the air. One Kalai near-death experiencer reported walking through a flower field to a road that forked in two. In each fork of the road, a man was standing, trying to persuade the near-death experiencer to come with him. The near-death experiencer picked one of the forks at random, and he and his guide traveled to a village where they climbed a ladder going up into a house floating in midair. When they reached the top, a voice declared that the near-death experiencer's time was yet to come, and that a group of people would be summoned to take him back. The NDEer nevertheless caught a glimpse of what was inside the house, finding some men working with steel, and some men building ships, and another group of men building cars. Once taken down the steps, the near-death experiencer tried to return to the house, but found that with each attempt to approach its door, the house would turn as if on an axle so that the door moved elsewhere. When the near-death experiencer could not find a road to follow to come back, a beam of light appeared that he walked along, and then he climbed down the steps, now finding nothing but forest at the bottom. The near-death experiencer then reported, quote, So I walked along the beam of light, through the forest and along a narrow path. I came back to my house and re-entered my body and was alive again. End quote. The NDE world of the Kalai conformed to their cargo belief that white people were spirit people or ancestors who had returned from the dead. The Kalai believed that spirits or ancestors gave technology to human beings and that the afterlife was, quote, rich with divinely given technology, including, quote, factories, automobiles, highways, airplanes, European houses and buildings in great numbers, and manufactured goods, end quote. After discovering such major differences between Western and non-Western descriptions, Counts concluded that the NDE world, quote, often is a pleasant, happy place, whose content varies and seems to be culturally defined, noting that Western NDEers often see a beautiful garden, while the Kalai find an industrialized world of factories, highways, and urban sprawl. Counts also thought that this cultural variability indicated that out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences were probably just, quote, the result of a psychological state rather than an objectively experienced life after death, end quote. How consistent are NDE features across cultures? Despite a few core elements, descriptions of the world encountered during Western NDEs are nearly as variable as dreams. Even the identity of the light is variable. In some cases, it has a personality. In others, it does not. Sometimes it has a specific identity that varies between people, a bright angel in one case, Jesus in another. In other cases, it is a path, or simply the illumination of another world at the end of a tunnel. Its function also varies significantly, sometimes merely acting as a destination, sometimes lighting the way, 
sometimes judging, sometimes asking questions, and sometimes simply returning in D ears to where they came from. Nevertheless, different near-death researchers have suggested that most of the following elements constitute core commonalities of the prototypical Western NDE. Number one, feelings of peace or euphoria, lack of pain. Two, an out-of-body experience. Three, traveling through a tunnel or darkness from the physical world to an ostensibly transcendental realm. Four, encountering a sun-like light. Five, meeting others. Six, a life review where one's own life events are viewed or relived and sometimes judged. Seven, seeing some sort of landscape. And eight, encountering a barrier or threshold between life and death. Because most Western near-death experiences do not include all of these elements, I will define the prototypical Western NDE as an experience succeeding a real or perceived imminent physical threat containing at least two of the elements listed above. In non-Western contexts, an NDE should be generally understood as an ASC precipitated by either an expectation of dying or actual proximity to death. Consistency between different Western near-death experience accounts has been well established. But to determine if their commonalities can be found in non-Western NDEs, we must search existing non-Western NDE accounts for elements of the prototypical Western near-death experience. Table 1 summarizes whether or not prototypical Western NDE elements were reported in 11 studies of non-Western NDEs. For the sake of fidelity, I have excluded from this cross-cultural survey ambiguous NDE cases, unsoundly procured accounts, and case studies of just one account. For instance, whether various historical narratives are accounts of experiences by individuals who are dying or expected to die is unclear, or otherwise their status as unedited first-person accounts rather than legendary inventions or accretions is dubious. I also excluded studies in which contemporary non-Western accounts were derived solely from second-hand sources rather than from interviews with NDEers themselves. Finally, I have excluded data that are likely to have been contaminated by knowledge of Western NDE motifs, such as findings based on responses to advertisements in non-native languages, or on composite accounts of Western NDEs presented to respondents beforehand. It is nevertheless worth noting that none of the excluded non-Western historical narratives, second-hand accounts, or single accounts, reported initial euphoria, transitional passage through a tunnel or darkness, encountering a sun-like light, or anything like the Western life review. In 11 studies of seven non-Western cultures, with three studies in India, two in Japan, and two in Central Africa, very few elements of the prototypical Western NDE were universally present. Feelings of peace have only been reported in China and Japan, and unfortunately, Feng Ying and Liu Jiangsun simply tabulated reported elements 
without including NDE's narratives, making it impossible for us to determine how similar the Chinese elements were to prototypical Western ones. A single Thai NDE'er did report, quote, a deep sense of beauty after an out-of-body experience, followed by walking down a road, encountering Yamatuts, and desperately trying to escape from them. OBEs were widely present, but absent from near-death experiences in Zambia, the Congo, and Melanesia, and only one OBE was reported in the 55 reports of NDEs from India. Moreover, the OBEs from Guam did not involve looking down on one's body or the area around it, but out-of-body flights to relatives living in America. Perhaps OBEs are not universal and near-death experiences because not all cultures recognize OBEs as a herald of death. Tunnel experiences were limited virtually to China and Japan. One NDEer from Zambia may have reported one, depending on whether Calabash should be interpreted as tunnel. And in a tabulated chart, three near-death experiencers from India were paraphrased as reporting a feeling of intense darkness that may or may not represent transitional passage. In one Thai account, an Indi-ear encountered a tunnel twice, first as a means to travel to Yama's Hall of Judgment, skipped due to bad weather, an elevator was taken instead, and then later to access the first level of hell, where people with heads of chickens, buffaloes, and cows were encountered. But Thai near-death experiencers typically traversed roads in their NDEs. An experience of a sun-like light can be found among Japanese NDE reports, but otherwise only a Congo near-death experiencer saw a bright, dazzling light. And an nde from India was paraphrased as reporting, quote, feeling of bright light and exploding firecrackers. A light that was too bright to bear was seen, where the cries of those being tortured could be heard in the fourth level of hell, reserved for arsonists, in a single Thai NDE. Meeting others was the only truly universal element found in every non-Western NDE study, but it hardly lent support for the existence of any substantial core NDE across cultures as it would not be surprising to find encounters with others in many hallucinatory human experiences. Moreover, it covered with much variation, such as meeting deceased friends or relatives, strangers, religious figures, animals, living persons, and mythological creatures. Viewing or reliving one's own life events was reported in near-death experiences only from China and Japan, although NDEs from India and Thailand often included readings of written records of the events of one's life, reflecting traditional Hindu and Thai beliefs. Thai near-death experiencers were often judged for specific actions and whether their good deeds outweighed their bad ones, but those affected by their actions, including a rooster and a turtle in one case, would testify for or against them. Outside of the limited Chinese and Japanese data, no memory flashback life reviews were reported by any non-Western NDE'er. 
one Melanesian indie ear reported witnessing a sorcerer being judged by loudspeaker and destroyed by fire during his NDE, but the NDEer himself never reviewed the events of his own life. Encountering a landscape was nearly universal, but absent from near-death experiences in India, where NDEers typically entered an administrative office and were sent back because the clerks had been sent the wrong person. This motif was also found in Thai near-death experiences, occasionally preceding landscape visions. The most common features of the Thai NDE world were visions of Yama's palace, various tortures being inflicted on wrongdoers, and gardens or land strewn with jewels. But NDE landscapes varied considerably across cultures. Bodies of water were prominent in near-death experiences from Japan, fields in near-death experiences from Guam, and brightly lit cities with factories, cars, roads, plains, and buildings in near-death experiences from Melanesia. A barrier or threshold was reported in near-death experiences from Japan, a river, sea, gate, or wall, Zambia, stars blocking a highway, the Congo, a river, Melanesia, a house would turn if a door was approached, and Guam, a field entrance, a door, a hill in the distance to which the near-death experiencer was prevented from traveling. In Thai near-death experiences, Yamatuts often forced NDEers back into their bodies after they were recognized to be the wrong person, but no barrier prevented them from going further and no choice to stay or return was ever offered. Of the eight prototypical Western near-death experience elements, only meeting others was truly universal in non-Western cultures. Landscapes were nearly universal, but quite variable in their details. Even the out-of-body experience did not appear to be a universal NDE element though it was more common than many of the other elements sought in non-Western NDEs. Encountering a barrier one cannot cross was equally prevalent. The absence of feelings of peace, a clear tunnel experience, an experience of light, and a life review in almost all of the non-Western NDE reports was surprising given their prominence in the prototypical Western NDE. Presumably, Cross-cultural consistency could be explained in terms of either similar neurological events or different encounters with the same afterlife reality. But cross-cultural NDE studies demonstrate that many near-death researchers have simply assumed that the consistency between Western accounts was merely a specific instance of cross-cultural consistency. For instance, Paul Batam asserted that, quote, what is seen in NDEs appears to be cross-cultural, but how it is named depends on the religious or non-religious background of the believer, end quote. Though no prototypical Western NDEs were evident among his Western and non-Western medieval afterlife narratives, James McLennan argued that what is at issue between believers and skeptics is not whether common elements exist cross-culturally, but whether that alleged fact supports belief in life after death, or whether commonalities within NDEs are produced by physiological factors associated with death trauma. 
but existing cross-cultural studies suggest that any cross-cultural core consists of a very small number of elements. Thus, sociologist Alan Callahir suggested a very general and rather meager core NDE after his survey of non-Western NDE accounts. Quote, In every case discussed, deceased or supernatural beings are encountered. These are often met in another realm, which is a social world not dissimilar to the one the percipient is from. The major difference is that this world is often much more pleasant socially and physically. Clearly, the consistency of these reports suggests that at least these two features of the NDE are indeed cross-cultural. End quote. Of course, such variability does not undermine the survival hypothesis itself. It is entirely possible that an afterlife exists, but that NDEs are not glimpses of it, a view similar to the Buddhist belief that the dying pass through several illusory bardo states, generated by their own minds before entering into the real afterlife. But it certainly undermines a survivalist interpretation of NDEs. That the major cross-cultural features of the NDE appear to include encountering other beings and other realms on the brink of death is a surprisingly modest conclusion. Such little cross-cultural consistency hardly cries out for either a neuroscientific or a survivalist explanation. We would expect a real or perceived near-death crisis to produce a sensation of dying congenial to common hallucinations of deceased friends and relatives, religious figures prominent in one's own culture, and afterlife vistas that aside from being a better place to live, appear exactly like the world of the living. Fox suggested that a more specific core NDE could be discerned. Quote, it seems clear that certain motifs do recur within NDE's testimonies with some regularity, both cross-culturally and pre-moody. The presence of some kind of light motif seems very widespread. So does the experience of a period of darkness en route or prior to it. End quote. While these do seem to be recurrent motifs across Western NDE accounts, there is little evidence that prototypical Western NDE motifs appear in non-Western NDEs. Near-death experiences from India, for example, are well-documented, yet markedly different from those reported in the West. Traversing a tunnel or void toward a light is absent from most known non-Western NDE accounts. In fact, it is notable that Kelleher did not include categories for darkness and light in his summary of non-Western NDE features table. Since far more differences than similarities have been found between Western and non-Western accounts, the commonalities between different Western NDEs require special explanation. What could possibly explain consistency between Western accounts, but not cross-cultural consistency? Here, a sociological explanation is called for, rather than a neuroscientific or survivalist one. The most obvious suggestion is that the widespread dissemination of Raymond Moody's depiction of NDEs in his 1975 Life After Life 
produce consistency across Western NDE accounts. Selection bias, omitting incongruent reports, and interviewer bias, asking leading questions, might then account for the consistency between Moody's reports. But Fox has revealed pre-Moody near-death experiences from the RERC archives, which contain more than 6,000 reports of religious experiences from 1925 to present. For instance, RERC account 2733 was written in August 1971 and referred to traveling down a long, whirling black tunnel toward a bright light at the end, where an NDEer found herself floating blissfully in a warm golden mist and saw faces coming out of the mist, smiling and then fading away before waking up, being slapped on both sides of the face. The evidence for consistency between Western NDEs is not limited to this single pre-Moody case. An NDE reported by J.W. Haddock in 1851 featured an out-of-body experience and life review. An 1889 near-death experience reported by Frederick Myers included an out-of-body experience and encountering a dark cloud, a dark pathway, other beings, and a border. In 1935, J.B. Kirkland reported his own NDE, which included an out-of-body experience, life review, traveling through a long tunnel with a tiny speck of light at the far end seeing others traveling through the tunnel, encountering an uncrossable barrier, then finally returning to his body. And in 1970, an ineffable NDE, marked by clarity of thought, included an out-of-body experience, traveling at great speed sitting on something, noticing a perfectly rectangular but porous, pure white, cloud-like substance on an intercept course, and quite pleasantly floating in a bright, pale, yellow light, before ultimately regaining consciousness. Moreover, at about the same time that Life After Life was published, German minister Johann Christoph Homp had been independently collecting NDE accounts from psychical research literature and the testimonies of mountain-climbing fall survivors. His German work was translated into English as To Die is Gain in 1979. Unlike Moody's accounts, Homp's collection included return trips back through tunnels, did not include ringing noises, and rarely included encounters with deceased relatives. Nevertheless, Homp independently found many prototypical Western NDE features. The realism of the experience, lucid thought during it, OBEs, tunnel experiences, experiences of light, life reviews, and transformations. Finally, a study of the influence of Moody's model on American and British NDE accounts compared 24 reports of NDEs collected before 1975 with 24 demographic and situation-matched post-1975 NDE accounts. If familiarity with the depiction of NDEs found in Life After Life generated widespread consistency between Western NDE accounts, one would expect post-1975 accounts 
to include higher frequencies of features included in Moody's synopsis than do pre-1975 accounts. However, a systematic comparison found no statistically significant difference in the frequency of reports of 14 of Moody's 15 characteristic NDE features, with only reports of a tunnel significantly more common in near-death experiences reported after 1975 than before. The discovery of major elements of the prototypical Western NDE in pre-Moody near-death experience accounts thus rules out Moody's depiction of near-death experiences, or that of subsequent researchers, as the basis of the consistency between different Western NDE accounts. Nevertheless, we should be clear about the differences even as we acknowledge the commonalities, as Kelleher wisely cautioned, quote, The full image of the NDE is an artifact of the composite picture put together by Moody, and repeated endlessly in the near-death experience literature. Few people actually experience all of these images. Our understanding of the NDE has been shaped not by the diversity of near-death experiences, but by a collective portrayal of features, seldom occurring altogether, but immortalized by Moody's medical vignette. End quote. Kelleher pointed out that about 66% of widows and 75% of parents who lose children experience bereavement hallucinations where their loved ones are briefly seen or heard. By contrast, in a recent prospective study, only about one-third of those who had NDEs reported meeting deceased persons, and only about a quarter reported out-of-body experiences. In fact, only two of the ten tabulated elements were found in half or more of the ND years. Positive emotions, 56%, and an awareness of being dead, 50%. Thus, even the sort of imagery we would expect to find in hallucinations near death is not nearly as common as our image of the prototypical Western NDE suggests. Moreover, discrepancies between different researchers' accounts of the order of NDE elements whether an out-of-body experience is directly followed by a tunnel experience, or instead by otherworldly scenes, for instance, is an artifact of trying to, quote, create a pattern out of the welter of various tunnels and paths, lights and presences, gardens and edifices. In other words, researchers have extracted features from several different NDE accounts from the West, and put them back together into one coherent but artificial story, where the stages of the NDE are clearly defined and follow a, quote, developmental sequence. Nevertheless, there is little doubt that Western NDEs really are patterned phenomena marked by similar elements, even if all of these stages are not perceived by everyone and are not necessarily consecutive levels of experience. Moreover, cliched commonalities between dreams, dreams of falling or flying, for instance, do not seem nearly as similar between individuals as NDEs do. Perhaps Western NDE motifs are found in some part of the Western cultural background other than the NDE literature since Moody. But then one is nagged by a poignant issue raised by Fox, quote, 
In the cases where NDEs with classic features such as tunnels and lights are reported, we might wish to question where near-death experiencers actually derive their cultural linguistic NDE pattern from. For it is clear that such experiences, complete with recurring motifs such as traversing a period of darkness towards the light, do not represent part of any of the religious traditions of the West. End quote. Specific NDE motifs are absent from standard depictions of the afterlife provided by Western religious traditions. But Irwin carried out a systematic survey of Western stereotypes of the afterlife to test the hypothesis that during, quote, sudden confrontation with death, people might draw upon their common cultural heritage to generate comparatively uniform hallucinatory images about a state of existence that is independent of the physical body. Irwin first considered the biblical depiction of heaven offered in Revelation 21, but noted that it was actually at variance with Western NDE motifs. Quote, the difficulty here is that the biblical account is somewhat at odds with the descriptions of the afterlife realm given by subjects of the NDE. The general public would be well aware of the biblical representation of heaven as a city of buildings and streets of pure gold and a surrounding high wall with pearly gates. In the near-death experience, on the other hand, the post-mortem realm commonly is reported to comprise a pastoral setting, one with rolling green hills, trees, flowers, perhaps a stream and a blue sky above." End quote. On the face of it, this disparity does not sit well with the view that the near-death experiencer's image of the afterlife springs largely from social conditioning. However, biblical imagery did feature in some near-death experience reports, but more importantly, it is questionable that the portrayal of heaven in Revelation 21 forms the popular stereotypical image of the afterlife in our culture. Consequently, Irwin set out to determine the most common Western visions of the afterlife by administering a questionnaire survey to 96 introductory psychology students concerning the appearance, inhabitants, and means of travel of the afterlife, as well as its auditory features. The most common Western images of the afterlife included a cosmic existence simultaneously everywhere and nowhere in the universe, 40% a pastoral scene of lush green hills, trees, flowers, and streams, 30%, and a formless void of pure being, 29%. A mere 7% of respondents selected the biblical image, and 9% expected large gardens to figure prominently in the afterlife. Irwin drew these key conclusions. First, there were several different Western visions of the afterlife, Second, the biblical image of heaven was not widely held, and thus sociological sources of NDE motifs cannot be denied on the grounds that the account of the afterlife in near-death experiences fails to correspond to the biblical representation. Finally, the image of the afterlife as a pastoral scene, an image often represented in near-death experiences, was quite commonplace even though respondents indicated that the pastoral stereotype generally is not based on familiarity with NDEs. 
like the image of looking down upon the earth from the clouds in the afterlife, a pastoral scene appears to have an obscure but clearly Western cultural source, independent of NDE reports themselves. And in turn, this image, like that of a garden or the pearly gates, appears to have influenced the content of some Western NDE reports. As Irwin noted, religious indoctrination was one possible source for the pastoral image. Quote, The Bible frequently appeals to pastoral metaphors, and Sunday school classes often include exposure to pictures of Christ standing in a grassy, sunlit field. End quote. And the, quote, cosmic image of the afterlife, which Irwin suggested was rooted in diverse mystical and non-Christian traditions, appeared to be represented in a meaningless void experience in which a 28-year-old woman reported encountering a small group of jeering circles, clicking back and forth from black to white, and vice versa, which she later discovered were the Taoist yin-yang symbols, a symbol she likely was subconsciously aware of, but had consciously forgotten about. One prototypical Western NDE element may be represented by two items in Irwin's questionnaire, which combined indicated that a full 57% of respondents anticipated some sort of illuminating light in the afterlife. If we combine being, quote, bathed in perpetual sunshine with being, quote, illuminated by a soft, diffuse light with no apparent source, respondents anticipated illuminating light more than any other particular item concerning the appearance of the afterlife, and this was the only feature anticipated by a majority of the respondents. Though illuminating light may be too vague to be identified with it, an experience of light is a major Western NDE motif, perhaps the most prominent feature of NDEs in the popular imagination. Though no other NDE elements were evident in Irwin's survey, out-of-body experiences appear to represent the most natural way to imagine what will happen to your soul immediately after the death of the body. Moreover, heaven, which polls indicate is where the vast majority of people expect to end up after death, is explicitly conceived of as a place of bliss and peace. Tunnels might be the most natural representation of transition for Westerners. And as evident in one of the creation accounts in Genesis, light is often associated with what is good in Judeo-Christian tradition, and God is conceived of as perfectly good. It is not much of a leap to associate God with light, and to think that God would be found on the other side of a transition between life and death. Individuals universally expect to meet others in the afterlife, and most contemporary religious traditions posit some sort of post-mortem accounting or judgment of one's actions during earthly life. Consequently, it is possible that NDEers are interpreting their experiences of specific physiological events in terms of their cultural expectations. Interestingly, aside from Hieronymus Bosch's suggestive 14th century painting, Ascent in the Empyrean, which parallels Gustave Doré's 1868 painting, Vision of the Empyrean, there is scant, if any, evidence of prototypical Western NDE motifs prior to the 19th century. 
Classical and medieval afterlife experience motifs were markedly different from those found in contemporary NDEs. The legend of Ur and Plato's Republic is often cited as the oldest recorded near-death experience, but like all of Plato's dialogues, it is entirely fictional, and in any case, the only prototypical Western NDE motif possibly present was a vague OBE. In medieval accounts, most of the modern elements, such as the feelings of peace, the tunnel, the hovering above the body, the life review, and meetings with deceased relatives or even brethren, are generally missing. Jan Bremer surmised that contemporary NDE reports reflect a modern Western individualism, absent from earlier afterlife accounts and propose this as a potential sociological source of prototypical Western NDE motifs. In addition to noting that the comparatively non-judgmental nature of the contemporary life review contrasts sharply with medieval motifs, he asked, quote, Can it be that the relatively late 19th century appearance of reports of the life film have something to do with the development of the diorama, and its reinforcement by the train in the 19th century, which enabled people to see a fast succession of scenes as they had never been able to do before. Kelleher suggested a possible cultural source for Western NDE imagery other than religious tradition. Quote, the Velveteen Rabbit contains many of the classic images of the NDE. However, it is not unique in this respect. In The Wizard of Oz, for example, Dorothy is transported inside a tunnel of a tornado to another place where she meets the Good Witch of the East. In Alice in Wonderland, Alice begins her adventure by a long fall down a dark rabbit hole. Children's literature is replete with tunnels, extraordinary beings, life reviews, flying experiences, and tales of reunion. End quote that Western NDE motifs might be derived from well-known children's stories would account for the considerable consistency between Western NDEs in the absence of evidence of significant cross-cultural consistency. However, the similarities between the imagery described in children's stories and near-death experience imagery are superficial. Moreover, these stories do not concern what to expect when you die. Why would individuals who felt that they were dying derive NDE imagery from children's stories rather than better-known and more context-appropriate afterlife imagery from Western religious traditions? Evidence of substantial consistency between different NDEs in the West, but only trivial cross-cultural consistency, opens up two avenues for further research. A sociological search for more compelling links between NDE motifs and possible cultural sources within Western tradition, and more anthropological studies of near-death experiences and a greater variety of non-Western cultures with larger sample sizes. The latter avenue is paramount. If more robust studies confirm the existence of little or no cross-cultural consistency between NDE reports, the need to search for NDE motifs within Western tradition would become more pressing. But if more robust studies establish that specific near-death experience elements are cross-culturally consistent, 
searching for a Western source of NDE motifs will become unnecessary, and knowledge of which NDE motifs are universal, or at least widespread, would provide us with better data to develop and test specific neuroscientific explanations of near-death experiences. Given that at least some NDEs are known to be hallucinations, should further cross-cultural studies uncover universal and well-defined near-death experience elements, such precise and widespread commonalities would be best explained in neuroscientific terms. Alternatively, if extensive studies fail to uncover substantial cross-cultural consistency between NDE accounts, a sociological explanation for solely Western commonalities would be required. In any case, our best evidence shows that a survivalist explanation will not do. Despite the commonalities, there is considerable variation in the content of different NDEs. While one person actually sees Jesus, another sees the Hindu god Yamraj. The glossed explanation that different people simply describe or interpret the same experience in different ways, an encounter with the same being of light, for instance, does not do justice to the actual near-death experience reports that have been collected, where Jesus and Yamraj have very different appearances and functions. When near-death experiencers provide very different descriptions of their experiences, there is no reason to assume that different NDEers are simply using different labels to describe the same experience. The most straightforward reason why different NDEers would describe their experiences in different ways is because they actually have very different experiences. The standard survivalist explanation that despite appearances, different NDE reports really are similar is simply an ad hoc stipulation. This principle is widely assumed because different people would naturally be expected to report similar experiences if they were traveling to the same afterlife environment. Of course, the greater diversity between different NDE accounts, the less credible the NDE consistency argument for survival, and thus the greater the pressure to portray different NDE accounts as more consistent than they first appear. But near-death experience reports themselves do not support this principle, and often contradict it, even when considering supposedly core elements. Kelleher, for example, suggested that perhaps, quote, tunnel experiences are not cross-cultural, but that a period of darkness may be. This darkness is then subject to culture-specific interpretations. A tunnel for Westerners, subterranean caverns for the Melanesians, and so on. NDEers who do not report darkness may not view this aspect of the experience as an important part of their account or narrative. Why is the frequently reported sensation of traveling through a darkness by Western NDEers so often described as a tunnel experience? End quote. But the most straightforward interpretation of apparent diversity is actual diversity that Westerners actually see tunnels in their experiences, while Melanesians see underground caverns. But since acknowledging actual diversity tends to undermine arguments for survival based on NDE commonalities, it is not surprising that researchers sympathetic to survival after death 
tend to interpret markedly different near-death experience reports in terms of the same experience, different descriptions, principle. After finding several accounts of visiting outer space and the RERC archives, Fox asserted that many NDEers were found to use the descriptor space to describe the episode of darkness. Soon after, he wrote, quote, The significance of the word space to describe the darkness encountered in these experiences will be returned to. Finally, Fox skewed what was actually reported by NDEers by concluding that many of his RERC respondents, quote, describe an encounter with some sort of darkness motif in terms seemingly suggestive of a visit to outer space, end quote. Fox was speaking as if he knew ahead of time what these different people had experienced. But of course, assuming that these reports were describing the same thing, regardless of what they actually said, begs the question, for that is the very issue of contention. Fox asserted that the episode of darkness was what was encountered, but that it was being described as space. But how did he know that it was not space that was actually encountered? Of course he did not know, he just assumed. If we look at such NDEers' actual testimonies, one person reports encountering a tunnel, while another reports encountering space. But should we not take each at his word, instead of assuming that both are encountering the same darkness in order to fit our artificial NDE models? Just because space, tunnels, and underground caverns are dark, does not mean that astronauts, motorists, and miners are using different terminology to describe traveling to the same place. One wonders just how much consistency is being derived from NDE reports, rather than being read into them. Worse still, many NDEers report encountering tunnels with physical properties, such as being made of bricks. Consider a case reported by Peter and Elizabeth Finwick. Quote, the tunnel was made of polished metal, jointed and held together with something like rivets. I felt it should have been more ethereal somehow. My feet felt like lead, but as I walked back to life, the light threw my shadow on the floor of the tunnel as I walked away from it. End quote. Clearly a case like this could not simply be a description or interpretation of a mere, quote, episode of darkness. More plausibly, different NDEers experience different things, traveling down tunnels, floating in outer space, walking down a road, being caught in a calabash, and so on. Grayson has conceded stark cross-cultural variation, but argued that, quote, experiences which conflict with NDEers' specific religious and personal expectations of death challenge the view that NDEs are products of imagination, constructed from one's personal and cultural expectations, end quote. However, his argument fails, and in any case, a few cases of apparent cultural dissonance in near-death experiences certainly does not outweigh an abundance of evidence for the predominant role of expectation in near-death experiences from different cultures, such as those from India and Thailand. Grayson cited the case of the Jewish near-death experiencer Chaim Rahlbog, who experienced an unusual cardiac arrest in DE 
in which he was falling into a dark void at a high speed, hovering over a sea of nothingness, then pushing himself back out of the void. As he traveled upward through the void, his surroundings were illuminated, and he eventually saw his body lying on the ground. He then had an experience of light, communicated with another being, and encountered his deceased father and brother, before finally hovering over his body and then waking up in the recovery room. Henry Abramovich offered two reasons why expectation could not account for the content of Rahlbog's NDE. First, Rahlbog was taught that the biblical Adam would appear to the dying, but this did not happen in his near-death experience. Second, he was taught that he would face judgment in the afterlife, but had no life review. That an individual's visions of the afterlife do not exactly mirror what he was taught, however, hardly requires an encounter with the afterlife to explain it. The real issue is whether such experiences conflict with an individual's personal expectations. But what a person consciously claims to expect of the afterlife says nothing of his subconscious expectations, and many individuals do not simply accept whatever dogma was taught to them in childhood, but grow to elaborate upon, modify, or reject what they were taught. Murphy found clear evidence of this in a near-death experience reported by the Chinese Thai, Kodian. During his NDE, quote, He noticed that some groups of deceased people had food and water, while others had only piles of ash. His friend said that those who made merit by donating food to the monks during their lives would have food in the afterlife, but those who only helped their own ancestors by burning paper replicas of food according to Chinese tradition would only have piles of ash. Kodian realized that his friend was suggesting that he create merit according to the Thai custom, but during his life he had not believed in the practice. He had thought that the Chinese forms of religious observance were better and had only made paper offerings. End quote. Here, a near-death experience was shaped almost entirely by cultural influences, yet the Indie-ear experienced something contrary to his conscious belief. But this quote, cultural dissonance, did not imply that his Indie was not expectation-driven, as Murphy explained, quote, His Indie seemed to reveal that he was actually more drawn to the Thai way of creating merit than those of his own family and subculture. This suggests that it is not culture alone that determines near-death experience phenomenology. Rather, NDEs may be determined more by one's expectations concerning what death will be like, even when those expectations are held subconsciously or are influenced by more than one culture. End quote. Grayson went on to argue that, quote, Children too young to have received substantial cultural and religious conditioning about death report the same kinds of NDEs as do adults. End quote. But how young is too young for a child to be affected by cultural conditioning? Children younger than three years old clearly learn concepts from sources as ubiquitous as television advertising. Moreover, how confident can we be that children's near-death experience reports have not been contaminated by parental influence or by interviewer feedback? Children are particularly susceptible to influence from authority figures, 
and typically have much richer imaginative lives than adults. The risk of direct contamination from parents or researchers could be minimized by closing the gap between the time of the NDE itself and when it is reported, but such information is rarely published. End quote. All right, so that was an article by Keith Augustine, which was published in the Journal of Near-Death Studies in 2007. And I thought it was a wonderful look into the cultural differences that occur in near-death experiences. And that's something that has always interested me in my various episodes. And I have a background in anthropology, so the idea of death expressing itself differently in different cultures is fascinating. There were a couple of takeaways, things that I wanted to touch on to emphasize and perhaps some things that I disagree with, but there was a lot I found useful in this article. And the first thing being is that it's just a treasure trove, a resource for how different imagery can come up in near-death experiences, how imagery can be localized to specific cultures and the differences between, let's say, a Western and non-Western NDE. I have had some episodes thus far in my podcast in the previous iteration where I read near-death experiences, where we looked at Thai near-death experiences, for example. And they're very interesting just how different in character and content that they are from let's say, the typical Western near-death experience. For example, this image of having a trial in the palace of Lord Yama, where the person having an NDE is put on trial by the animals which he has killed in his life. It's just a, such a fascinating, different sort of thing from perhaps what we are used to here looking at near-death experiences in the West. And, you know, things like this bureaucratic sort of office clerk mistake uh, being the reason you have to go back. Like, oh, sorry, we, you're dead by accident. You have to go back now. And that is seen in some Hindu and Thai near-death experiences. It's a lot different than in Western near-death experiences where the individual is told to go back because they have a purpose to fulfill. They have a mission, or perhaps they have to look after their family, or something like that. Another example is the Melanesian near-death experiences that he mentions, where their imagery is like an urban sprawl, or buildings, or edifices, or a city, very developed, and as opposed to Western NDEs, which tend to be more landscape, or, or natural, that sort of thing. And so this article is a very good resource for comparing and contrasting near-death experiences and seeing what they have in common and what is different. And it seems as though the main takeaway, at least for the author, was that the differences are quite staggering. And he uses these stark cultural differences as evidence against the idea that life continues after death although he does so in an honest and open sort of way 
admitting that there is more research that is needed, particularly anthropological research of near-death experiences. And I guess that's one thing that sort of struck me while reading this article is it didn't seem like there were that many accounts of non-Western NDEs to draw on. It seemed quite limited in the amount of stories and imagery that was being discussed. Maybe that's just my perception and, and looking at the raw data would prove otherwise. But I mean, it seemed quite limited in its in its data that it was going on and so it was very honest and fair in not drawing a strict conclusion but saying that there needed to be more research and since this was posted in 2007 i think since then that there's probably been quite a bit more research done for example i've been reading a book by dr gregory shushan called near-death experiences in indigenous religions and he has compiled many different near-death experience accounts from around the world of different cultures from native american indians to african ndes to pacific islander near-death experiences and they're fascinating and there are many accounts in this book and i think the book had been published since 2007, so that research may not have been available. But despite there not being an overwhelming amount of data in the form of non-Western near-death experience accounts, the author is able to make some vague kind of conclusions and even draws on some other NDE researchers' thoughts about what's going on here. For example, I want to read just a brief quote from earlier on in the article. This is coming from an NDE researcher named Murphy. Quote, He nevertheless conceded vague cross-cultural commonalities in which individuals commonly use culturally derived patterns to confabulate individualized death process phenomena that serve common psychological functions. End quote. One thing that I want to point out in that quote and something that we will elaborate on later on in the episode is how it mentions that individuals commonly use these culturally derived images and patterns as if we ourselves are making the near-death experience. But as I say all the time that we do not consciously create the experience or choose the imagery which we see. And so that is going to be my main point of contention with this article because besides that, I think it is very useful and honest and, and very good research into the cultural differences of NDEs. But we will get more into that later. But based on that quote that I just read, it sort of lays out that there are only vague conclusions we can draw about the NDEs of different cultures and the commonalities they share, that they use cultural imagery and patterns to express themselves and they may have some resonance with psychological states. That's not a very strong conclusion. And 
there was another quote from the article which tries to sum up the similarities between Western and non-Western NDEs. And I wanted to read that to again emphasize how little there is in, in common in terms of the imagery and motifs and patterns of near-death experiences. Quote, Of the eight prototypical Western NDE elements, only meeting others was truly universal in non-Western cultures. Landscapes were nearly universal, but quite variable in their details. Even the OBE did not appear to be a universal NDE element, though it was more common than many of the other elements sought in non-Western NDEs. Encountering a barrier one cannot cross was equally prevalent. End quote. So I wanted to touch on this because it shows that the commonalities between Western and non-Western NDEs are pretty slim meeting other people and there being a landscape and maybe an out-of-body experience and maybe reaching a barrier. But that's not nearly as many elements that perhaps we might think there would be in common. And I wanted to emphasize this because it kind of deconstructs our idea of what a near-death experience is. I think we here in the West are so used to hearing the same old NDE story that we assume that that's the story which plays out everywhere, but it's not the case. For instance, if I asked you what, what happens in an NDE, you might say that you see yourself floating above your body and then you go through a tunnel towards a bright light and there you may find yourself in a field or something and meet deceased loved ones or a religious figure and then have an experience with this beautiful bright light and feel peace and happiness and then perhaps have a review of your life and the things you did right and things you did wrong and then you're told that you have to go back to your body. What this article does a really good job of is sort of explaining how that is a artificial story. That's a fiction which individual NDEs may have some resonance with, may check all of those boxes, or there may be some that check very few of those boxes. So we really can't say that there is a single core near-death experience story that follows these plot points and X, Y, and Z happens. This article really does a fantastic job of showing the variability of NDEs and how that, that single core NDE story is a myth and one that is not necessarily the, the norm around the world. But that being said, Myths are expressions of psychological truths and I think can be quite useful and that's something we will get into as we go along. But despite that critique that, okay, there's not this single core near-death experience, the author asks a very interesting question of 
okay, well, there are all these differences between NDEs of different cultures, but why is there a consistency and a coherence of NDEs within a culture? Why is there a Western NDE, a prototypical Western NDE with these elements which I just listed off? One idea was that the very popular book by Raymond Moody called Life After Life sort of created this image within our cultural unconscious and that is what people see because that's what people expect such as going down a long tunnel and meeting loved ones and seeing a bright light that sort of thing but as he explains through the the article and his research that that is not the case that there were examples of a western NDE before the publishing of that book I wanted to read a another quick quote from the article Quote, the discovery of major elements of the prototypical Western NDE in pre-Moody near-death experience accounts thus rules out Moody's depiction of NDEs or that of subsequent researchers as the basis of the consistency between different Western NDE accounts. End quote. So ultimately, the article was not able to say what is the source of why there is a common Western NDE with all these elements that we know. And he looked at a, a couple different ways of maybe explaining it from looking at religion, the depictions of heaven in the Bible, in Revelation and other passages. And that doesn't quite add up because most people don't see imagery which is lining up with the depictions of the afterlife in the Bible. That's usually, as he says, landscape and field sort of as the main image which comes up as opposed to this heavenly city of Jerusalem, which is mentioned. And so it's not directly aligning with people's supposed and alleged beliefs that the NDE is often consistent and yet does not reflect people's conscious and spoken religious beliefs. And they also looked at, even more strangely, children's fairy tales and children's stories as the basis of perhaps the NDE motifs that we know, like going down the rabbit hole is akin to going through a tunnel and that sort of thing. But as the author mentions, he was like, why would someone think of a children's fairy tale on their deathbed or at the, this crucial and traumatic and intense moment? Why would that be what is brought to the surface? So this brings me into my main critique of the article and not even just the article itself because the article draws on the research of many different NDE researchers who are trying to explain this phenomena, but I guess my main critique is the way that they are trying to explain why there is a consistency of NDEs in a given culture, let's say the West, is a very, it's a very causal and rationalistic approach which 
to be honest, is how science should be done. I mean, that makes sense. But when you're approaching something as personal and subjective and spiritual, let's say, as an NDE, this rigid, rationalistic perspective just sort of doesn't work. To try to explain the imagery of NDEs coming from children's stories or the fact that there was a the invention of the movie projector and moving pictures as as the source of the life review that's rationalistic in the extreme and attempting to hand wave or explain away this phenomenon and the reason that this overly rationalistic perspective doesn't work in this case i think is because our inner imagery is unconsciously and autonomously created and it uses what is familiar to us but it's not made by us that we are not consciously stitching together this experience and so to try to pin the different elements on things that people may have seen or or that sort of thing just doesn't it's not explaining anything because ultimately the individual who's having the experience does not choose or create the NDE. And so who does create the NDE and its imagery? Who does make that choice? The Jungian psychoanalytic perspective is that there's not just one consciousness within us, our ego, but there are multifaceted and quasi-alive complexes which are regulated by the totality of the unconscious and there is a factor within the unconscious which stitches together these experiences whether they be NDEs or perhaps dreams and so why would a children's fairy tale bear some resemblance to an NDE well, it's because both come from the unconscious. There is an archetypal motif which underlies both phenomena. The story which unconsciously is coming out of the author or the writer or the storyteller and then the story which unfolds in an NDE. And perhaps it's something like an archetypal motif of a transformational journey where you, have a, you cross through a tunnel and then you talk to other beings and there's some sort of change which occurs. And so with this psychoanalytic perspective, you get symbolic resonance between NDEs and fairy tales and even myths from around the world. And this connective tissue, this symbolic layer which NDEs come from is a way to overcome these cultural differences which this research shows. The author gets very close to touching on this psychoanalytic perspective but doesn't quite go there. In the passage that he was talking about the difference between what people claim to believe in their religious beliefs and then what they actually may believe. I'm going to read another sentence or two from the article. Quote, 
The real issue is whether such experiences conflict with an individual's personal expectations. But what a person consciously claims to expect of the afterlife says nothing of his subconscious expectations. End quote. So there the author is quite rightly, I think, pointing out that there can be a conflict between what we claim to believe and then uh, our unconscious beliefs. And to that, I would want to emphasize something that Jung often said throughout his works is that things that are unconscious are actually unconscious. We don't have access to them, we don't control them, and they express a life and will of their own. We cannot reach in and change them or grasp them. We are sort of at their mercy. And when unconscious things come to the surface of consciousness, we may be able to shape them or learn from them or interact with them in some way, which changes both us and them perhaps. But unconscious contents are inaccessible to us unless they pass the threshold of consciousness. But there is a silver lining in the fact that NDE imagery and other inner imagery is shaped by unconscious processes. It means that there's a, this underlying layer of the psyche which can serve as an objective reference for highly subjective and personal individual experiences. With this perspective, Phenomena which are highly subjective now have an objective element because it recognizes that the person is not in control. The person is not choosing what they see. Some of it is obviously culturally derived, but it is being expressed by an objective psyche. So I think this is anathema to a very strict and narrow rationalistic or causal way of thinking, but I think it is an honest account of what is actually happening, that the individual is not playing a conscious role in what they are seeing. And so one thing the article does rightly point out is the danger of NDE researchers reading into near-death experiences things that they want to see or perhaps prove their own theories. But what I would say is from this Jungian psychoanalytic perspective, we're not reading into it, but reading what's actually there, what is actually being expressed unconsciously through these experiences. As an example of this, I wanted to read again from the article. Quote, If we look at such NDEers actual testimonies, one person reports encountering a tunnel, while another reports encountering space. But should we not take each at his word, instead of assuming that both are encountering the same darkness in order to fit our artificial NDE models? Just because space tunnels, and underground caverns are dark does not mean that astronauts, motorists, and miners are using different terminology to describe traveling to the same place. 
one wonders just how much consistency is being derived from NDE reports rather than being read into them. End quote. Here I take his point that different NDEs have different imagery, and that is important to examine NDEs as they are. But his counterpoint is way too literal and rationalistic that miners and motorists and astronauts share nothing in common, that there's no meaning which can be extracted out from those differences, that there's no core which unites them. This is not scientific, but when we look at the, the symbolic language which the psyche speaks in, tunnels and caverns and even a calabash can be symbolic cognates of one another. They can mean going within, they can mean going into darkness, into the womb, into oneself. So it's not scientific, obviously, but it expresses meanings which cohere, which line up, and they affect one psychologically. So I think we have license to identify these patterns of meaning because, as I've said, the imagery is not personally or consciously constructed. It's coming from somewhere else. It's coming from nature, at the very least. And as such, it should be included in the scope of metaphysical naturalism. There was another sentence in the article which stood out to me, and I'm going to read it real quick. Quote, Despite a few core elements, descriptions of the world encountered during Western NDEs are nearly as variable as dreams. End quote. So dreams have the same symbolic patterns of meaning because they are, as I've said, organized and expressed by the same unconscious factor. That nature within us which chooses and expresses this imagery on its own accord. And so, although dreams can vary greatly, just like NDEs, there are consistent meanings which arise, although with individual and cultural variation in their expression. And Jung and others showed that the elucidation, the coming to consciousness of these patterns, could greatly benefit the individual's well-being and their understanding of themselves. As we start to wrap up, there was one more passage I wanted to read from the article. Quote, Counts concluded that the NDE world often is a pleasant, happy place whose content varies and seems to be culturally defined, noting that Western NDEers often see a beautiful garden, while the Kalai find an industrialized world of factories, highways, and urban sprawl. Counts also thought that this cultural variability indicated that OBEs and NDEs were probably just the result of psychological states rather than an objectively experienced life after death. End quote. So though this summary is coming from a different NDE researcher, Counts, I wanted to close with it because there is no such thing as just 
psychological states. There's no experience of the world without the psyche. It's the sine qua non of existence, the requirement of it. We can't escape it or imagine being outside of it. It is objective in the fact that it impresses its own processes upon us and that our own ego and consciousness developed out of it according to nature, I presume. And so life after death is objectively experienced by the individual who has an NDE because the unconscious forces it upon them. So I know that's kind of an esoteric point to make, but one that I felt was necessary in talking about this article. Because overall, I thought the article did a wonderful job, and I'm very grateful to Mr. Augustine for having put the time and effort to research it and write it and publish it. That was the one thing that I that came up for me while I was reading it, that I get that having to take a scientific perspective and wanting to do that is useful, especially when there's so much surrounding NDEs that is new age and sort of, you know, very needing of some rigor, let's say, needing of a bit of a analytical perspective. But at the end of the day, that is what I, I feel like can be added to this is that the NDE is not coming consciously from the individual. And so they are well within their rights to take its suggestions at face value that there is life which continues after death because that is what is being expressed to them in the experience. And I will add as a corollary to that that only those who have had an NDE or an experience which suggests a life after death to them have evidence or proof to believe in the continuation of life after death. Their experience is not valid for anyone else but them individually. So with that, I think we will wrap things up here. Thank you very much for listening today, and I hope that this was helpful or thought-provoking at the very least. And there will be more episodes coming here in the future. And in the meantime, if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, because that really helps us out. So thank you very much again, and till next time. Bye.